I know that right now is a time where we want a politician who can move left and we can move the party left. And at least that's the consensus among young people. I will not speak for everyone on that, but I think it's something that we can do by looking at who he works with and how we can make that left happen. Because I don't think it necessarily always happens at the top level. I think it happens at the local level, which is why I'm so passionate about being at the local level, because Mm -hmm. I think those are what are the policies that affect you the most on your daily life. So for me, it's looking at who Joe Biden has endorsed at the local level too. Um, And I think that speaks to maybe a little bit more of, of where our party is going. Welcome to Be The Change, a Connecticut News Junkie original podcast. I'm your host, Emily DeSalvo. Today on Be The Change, I spoke with Newington Board of Education member Jessica Weaver, a recent UConn grad and a United States of Women ambassador. We talked about financial literacy, the importance of local government, and the time she hugged Michelle Obama. Hi, Jessica. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I am doing just swell. First, I want to start with the fact that when I first followed you, your profile picture was of you and Michelle Obama. Now, can we start there? It wasn't a casual selfie. You guys were hugging. Like, how did you get to know Michelle? Yeah, that was the best birthday present slash graduation present slash every present for probably the next five years that my mom got me when she came to the Bushnell to speak. I think in... I can't even remember what year it was now, 2018. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, she was she was offering visitors to come and meet her at the Bushnell after she gave her talk kind of on the beginning of her book tour, which was an incredible talk. So I'm just grateful for that opportunity. And I got to be able to say, hey, and I'm just on behalf of all young people, I just wanted to say thank you so much for inspiring our next generation. And I have to say, I think she, it was the only person she hugged in that line. The rest of the, the guests were much older than me and it was a more distant handshake type of thing so she just came up and hugged. I went for the handshake and she came up and hugged me and I was like do I shower like I can't <laughs> um yeah it was, it was an incredible incredible night that's so exciting so I know also noticed that you have some affiliation with the Obama Foundation actually can we branch off into that what is your involvement there Yeah, so I don't know how many people know in Connecticut but the Obama Foundation Community Leadership Corps came to Hartford last fall and they brought in, I'm not sure how many members, I think it was around 100 members from the Hartford region and kind of across the state of Connecticut, all young leaders, kind of 18 to 30 or 29. And I think some even younger, but the whole premise was to create community leadership projects where it was really youth driven, but also was a way to improve our community, whether it be from mental health to financial literacy, to civic engagement, to putting washing machines in schools. So this has been a project that the foundation has done for a while at different locations. They've had it mostly in Chicago where the foundation is based, but also I think in South Carolina and North Carolina as well. So Hartford was kind of their first pick and they were supposed to come back this year. Obviously COVID has impacted that, but I believe we'll be back again next fall or whenever we can make it so that we can have them meet in person again. Um, But they've really tried to make it about Hartford and and about making our community better so it was a great experience that's great so you're still in college correct no I just graduated in May yeah yeah well I'm in a weird spot too um I graduated undergrad in 2019 and I did kind of a five-year program so I graduated my with my master's in a 
the next year. So I graduated in May with my master's degree in public mm -hmm. policy. So half of it was undergrad and then I finished my second half. So yeah. And you um, ran for the Newington Board of Ed while you were still in school, correct? Correct. Yes. Yep. Full-time grad student, full-time graduate intern. And yeah, I still ran for office then. Yeah. And what motivated you to um, go out for local office in the midst of your um, educational career? What sounds like a busy time? Yeah, honestly, it wasn't something that I expected to do at that time. I had attended a lot of different types of sessions that were for young women looking to run for office, but it was never something I said, oh, you know, I have to run when I'm 21. It right. was something I, I thought about, you know, when I'm, you know, maybe 25, 26, or had some kind of established job. Um, but for me, it was really, it came out very organically. I was on the legislature. They have usually, you know, some times where you can testify in bills. And I had been testifying on some financial literacy bills. My state legislator at the time noticed, and we connected and he thought I was a great fit for running for office. And I thought actually this would be perfect. My sister was having issues getting into AP science classes at the high school. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to make sure that she, this was kind of a growing problem in the grades. So I actually went and talked to the superintendent. I told my mom, hey, you should go to a board of ed meeting. And from there, it kind of grew into something where I thought about not only my sister, but my sister's friends and then my cousins that will be coming up into the Newington school system. And I realized how much I was connected to my school system still, despite just having been out for four and a half years. So from there, I just wanted to be able to make that impact and kind of give back to the school system that I benefited from. Mm -hmm. So in terms of these AP science classes, is that a problem that you were able to solve in your, in your tenure on the board? So it's something that was kind of something we resolved in the sense that we figured out why it was happening. Okay. It was, you know, something that affected two or three grade levels and we were able to, to hash it out. I think it'll be something that may reoccur, but the superintendent is aware of it and she's new to our school district as well mm -hmm. since last year. So it was something we had to bring up to her as a new issue. Um, but it was a talk I had even before I said, hey, I'm running. So she was very receptive. She's incredible. And yeah, it was something we could hash out even before I was on the board. So I'm glad that was the case. What was the campaign experience like? I know like a lot of young people, the idea of running for office in the middle of being a student is kind of daunting. So what did it take to pull together, um, you know, a campaign that people would vote for? Yeah, I think for me, I was really lucky to be able to run with other people on a slate. So I ran with our Democratic Party. So I was able to just kind of have that support of incumbents and also put myself out there as a newcomer. Mm -hmm. And I am very well tuned into my community. I tend to <laughs> go to a lot of community events, especially at the high school. I'm a huge supporter or was a huge supporter now that my sister has graduated of the swim team, tennis team, the student council. So for me, it really was something I had already been involved in. So I knew a lot of the community members just by being in the community. So I think that is just helpful in a campaign. A lot of students who go back to their hometowns will know that likely if you live in a small town in Connecticut, everyone knows everybody in some form or another. And that kind of helps that first leg of the campaign where you're just going out to people you already know and just saying, hey, you know, I'm running for office this is great. And usually there's a lot of support there. So that really helped. But I think also just having a, a group around me already showing me the ropes to say, this is who we're going to go and talk to today. This is who we're going to go door knock with today. And 
getting to know them and their experiences on the board already was super helpful because I was able to get an outsider's perspective from people already on the inside. What are some initiatives that the Newington Board of Education are working on right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously we can't ignore the fact that COVID is happening. So it's kind of a, a daily, <laughs> daily routine you hear from the superintendent all the time. You know, this is the COVID case today. This is not. Um, but for us, I think the biggest initiatives right now are we are in the process of changing our mascot. I know some other towns have done that. Um, we are changing it. This was something that's been in the works for a little bit, kind of before I was on the board. And there's been talks about this for probably decades at this point. But this is a huge initiative that we're, we're working on in terms of bringing in uh, people from the Human Rights Institute at UConn, as well as having community members, board members, town council members, uh, alumni, current students to be able to decide what our new mascot will be. And I think especially during the time that we're in, where we are talking about a lot of social issues that are pertinent to our communities, it's really important that we, we talk about this in a really constructive way, but also in a way that is respectful and honors uh, everybody in the community's wishes, but also does the right thing about, about how we go about this. So I'm really excited about that initiative because I'll be on that committee. Um, and the other thing is we're, we're finally hoping it'll be after November 3rd, we'll find out uh, in terms of the town is voting on a referendum for a huge capital improvement project for one of our elementary schools that desperately needs some rebuilding. The roof is leaking. There have been classrooms that have been literally flooded wow. by just one rainfall overnight and the entire desk is covered. I mean, we've seen pictures. There's it in local newspapers. You'll find it's, it's pretty severe and kids are all and teachers are developing respiratory issues because of no. Uh, mold around there. So these are two huge initiatives the town is going to be involved with, not just the Board of Ed, but our initiatives. Mm -hmm. I'm not super familiar with Newington, but what was the old mascot that you guys felt was warranted to change? Yeah, so it was the Newington Indians. Okay. So um, just like I believe Farmington has done it and then maybe Guilford has done it, there's been some other towns and we've actually been working with other town Board of Eds on this as well as the Yukon Human Rights Institute, who has been leading this uh, kind of cons consultation with us about how to do this in a, in a way that, that works with the community. Um, and I think it's, it's something that I remember talking about when I was in high school. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it was something that uh, we had another board member who's also an alumni say, and she went to the school in the 90s. And she said, oh, we were talking about it then. So I think, you know, we've kind of phased it out, I guess, a little bit by just making it the Newington end. If you're in sports, it was obviously something that you were impacted by a little more when you said it. But for me, obviously, when I cheered on my sister, I was just saying, go Newington. So, you know, it, it's something that we'll be, we'll be having a discussion about, but um, it's something that, you know, they've already kind of phased out and we're just looking for what the new mascot will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, to transition a little bit, I know that um, on top of your role on the board, you're also a part of the United State of Women. You're an ambassador there. So you got your feminist stuff behind you. I know that, and you know, you're passionate about Michelle Obama. Clearly women's rights are important to you. Can you tell me a little bit about that role on the United State of Women and um, what that means to you? Yeah, no, um, this is something that has been really important to me. I think also part of why I ran to is just gender equity is really important to me specifically when it comes to female representation in politics as well as in the economic sphere for me that's kind of my my mantra in life and for me 
Um, it means a lot in terms of what we do at the United State of Women. And the goal is to be in, in the community, same as we did with the Obama Foundation Community Leadership Corps. For me, I really like to be community-based. So that's the mission here is to fight for gender equity causes at a local level. So I work with two other ambassadors, Brittany Yancey and Kaylee Townsend, and they are fabulous women of color that are just doing so much in our, in our work, but we each kind of do our own side projects. Uh, mine is more financial literacy and mental health based. Kaylee does uh, domestic violence and, um, and Brittany does everything and everything. And we all work together as well. We recently were just uh, sponsoring a get out the vote drive for um, in collaboration with the Women's March Action Network in Connecticut. And we kind of just work in collaboration with a lot of the community-based organizations that are existing. The YWCA Harper region is a big supporter. And we do a lot of things from gender-based violence to uh, talking about voter rights in terms of voter suppression. We talk about getting out the vote. We've done voter registration drives. We are nonpartisan. So it's more about just talking about the issues that are important to us in terms of gender equity. But it's really great because I get to meet so many people who are working on these issues already in the community and we're able to collaborate. Mm -hmm. You said your focus was on um, financial literacy and mental health. Can you tell me a little bit about your initiative that you're doing um, there for those people that aren't familiar with that? Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of, it'll, it'll come more apparent after the election. I think that's kind of our focus right now. I don't know who else is noticing, but we do have that presidential election coming up and every other election for local officials coming up. So that's kind of the focus, I think, for everyone right now. But for me, after that, um, you know, recently I just kind of finished. It was part of my Obama Foundation project that we created, and um, I finally launched it uh, about two weeks ago now. Um, I did mental health vending machines. So <laughs> basically they're for elementary school classrooms and we put in sensory objects and mental health resources, basically like Play-Doh, stress balls, those kind of things in a very unique way. They are in the classrooms now in five classrooms in Harvard Public Schools. Um, so I'm really excited about that because I was able to, to launch that on Mental Health Awareness Week and uh, in honor of World Mental Health Day. Um, so that was really exciting. And then for me, financial literacy is huge in terms of gender equity. I see women's representation in the economy just as important as we are represented in politics. So I kind of started my political career in local government at the state treasurer's office. So I worked for Denise Napier, who is our first African-American female treasurer in the country. She is incredible. She was an amazing mentor and really instilled in me the passion for financial literacy and really instilled in me the the passion for advocacy and financial literacy. So I sit on the Connecticut Jumpstart Board, as well as um, I've done kind of, that's where my advocacy work started. I went to UConn and made a petition to get a thousand signatures in four days and was like, we need to require this at, at uh, the higher education level. We need to be able to require this. And I went to my legislators. I was like, here's the petition. Here's a thousand signatures. We need to do this. Now, obviously it was a crazy session. So nothing went through there, but we did get a course on campus at UConn that's now available to everybody online. So that's kind of what, where I really got my passion. So from there, I've just kind of been working and finding other, what I like to call Finlit feminists, um, financial feminists who are really working on making sure that we talk about money in a way that is inclusive. And we talk about how women are underrepresented in a lot of the different financial sectors, but also underrepresented in investing, underrepresented in um, how we look at financial illiteracy. Mm -hmm. Women are disproportionately impacted by that. You know, it's more associated with the male type in terms of 
who's in finance, who are those financial CEOs, mm-hmm. uh, women on corporate boards. Right. So for me, it's, it's working on those kind of things at a local level, working to kind of continue Denise Napier's legacy in that, um, as well as now um, the treasurer currently um, is doing that. So, you know, financial literacy is something I will continue to work on, um, both in a legislative sense, but also in terms of working with organizations like the YWC Hartford region who does the money conference for women. So it's something that's all encompassing for me. What is a, a, I guess, a consequence or a, it's something that it's a danger of leaving women financially illiterate? Yeah. I mean, I think you see it all the time. Uh, you just don't necessarily recognize it when we see, um, women who we just talk about the pay gap. That's, that's something that's already affecting women. It's not necessarily that they don't know about it, but it's something that women are less likely to negotiate their salaries. Women are less likely to have um, higher salaries at their first job. Women are likely to take gaps in their employment because of pregnancies or childcare. Women are more likely to be the caretakers and they're likely to take on additional roles, which is what we call unpaid labor. So there's a lot that can just be learned about that that I didn't know when I was in high school about, oh yeah, that's something I didn't consider. Mm-hmm. I should be thinking about this now. Um, but that's just a few that off the top of my head that I can talk about. Mm-hmm. You're a young person talking about all these really big issues that affect the nation as a whole, some of them. And you're also a young person that's on a board of it that's probably has some older people on it and you're a younger voice. How do you get people to take your ideas seriously um, and consider you as an equal, even though you're younger than them? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it was something that I had to ask myself before going onto the board. But I think one of the things that I absolutely love is talking and people will know that about me. I love to talk. And I think what's important is to be able to find those generational gaps and be able to fill them in a way where you can find your commonalities. So for me, I have always had, you know, really tough conversations with my parents and my grandparents. And, you know, we all have very similar political views, so I don't have to really, you know, argue, so to speak with them, but they really do push me to recognize that my lived experience is not the only experience there is. And I think that's something that I take with me when I go and talk with other folks that are from very different generations. And I have to recognize that they are not coming at this issue or whatever the issue is with the same perspective that I have. They have grown up in a very different world. I have grown up in a different world than my sister has. You know, I think it's so funny when we talk about Gen Z and millennial, you know, I'm a cusper, they say, like I'm in that 96 to 97, 98 range where we're like, we grew up with Motorola Razor phones, but then your siblings grew up with iPhones. Like by the time we went to high school, we had iPhones. So we really saw technology come to fruition while going through school. And now five years, my sister's five years younger than me. And she grew up with iPhones and computers and Chromebooks already in school. So there's that huge gap. And I always use that five-year gap as a reference point to say, think about the 20-year gap that you have, because the closest person on the board is 20 years older than me. Um, Think about, (laughs) you know, that gap that you have with your sister that's only five years it's huge think about the gap that you have with the rest of your board members and how they grew up and what their life experiences are like and the things that you grew up with and how much they really do differ so I think it's really important to find those commonalities luckily I have parents that cultured me very well so I'm very well versed in in old music uh going back to the 50s and 60s I can give you any rendition of a disco song 
And I really, <laughs> I will not sing that, but um, for me, it's really important to find, you know, find those commonalities that you can, you can really just touch base with. It's those small talk things that really help, you know, it's beyond, you know, what is the weather like, or, you know, how are you feeling today? How's your family? We all have families, but it's a good reference point to just be able to get to know the person, because I think the more friendships you have in politics, the more likely you are to get things done and the easier time you have finding commonalities in the policies that you're putting out. Mm -hmm. To talk about, you know, young people and an age gap between the people that represent them. Um, you're a Democrat. Joe Biden is the Democrat that's running and representing the party right now. And obviously a lot of young people feel a little bit like he doesn't fully represent them in um, their ideas. What do you say to them? Is this a time for party unity? And how can they push their their agenda, which is some in some ways different than his, despite you know the fact that they probably will still vote for him? Yeah, I think that is something that we deal with every day. It's something you know I've had to consider where, you know, some people are not enthusiastic about Joe Biden because he doesn't support things like the Green New Deal. A lot of young of us, the young folk, are really excited about. AOC and the Green New Deal. She's the, she's the best. Right. And I think it's very hard. And I know, I think you've talked with Justin Farmer about this too. I think it's, you know, a lot harder to say, you know, where does the party stand? And I think I always bring it back to local level because that's where to me, it impacts me the most. So for me, I think about, you know, the people that Joe Biden's worked with. I think about the politicians at the state level that I've worked with that have worked with Joe Biden you know, I worked for John Larson in um, DC when I was a sophomore in college. And I will tell you, there were a lot of older men that I worked with. And I will tell you, to me, that what matters the most is, is their character. And I think for me, you know, I, I know that right now is a time where we want a politician who can move left and we can move the party left. And at least that's the consensus among young people. I will not speak for everyone on that, but I think it's something that we can do by looking at who he works with and how we can make that left happen. Because I don't think it necessarily always happens at the top level. Right. I think it happens at the local level, which is why I'm so passionate about being at the local level, because mm -hmm. I think those are what are the policies that affect you the most on your daily life. So for me, it's looking at who Joe Biden has endorsed at the local level too. Um, and I think that speaks to maybe a little bit more of, of where our party is going. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to get excited about another older white gentleman that is running for office. But I think the people he surrounds himself with, the people he is going to put in his cabinet are things to think about. You know, maybe, you know, he's not your candidate for, you know, issues on healthcare or taxes or immigration or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But think about who are the people he's working with that he can put into those positions that are, you know, who's going to be the next um, director of HUD, who's going to be the next um, head of the treasury. You know, these are things that we think about a lot because there are so many people who work in government who are civil servants that are controlling a lot of the things that, you know, will be governed by people he appoints. So I think it's bigger than just Joe Biden. I think it's something that is, that we can say, okay, this is a movement in our country that we would like to move towards, one that's back towards civility and one that is 
hopefully one that's better for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've graduated from college, you've got a lot of big ideas. Um, Board of Ed, is that where you're going to stay for a while? Do you have uh, another position in mind? What's next? Yeah. I, yeah. And I think, I think everyone struggles with this question because I am kind of like a ball of energy with like 10 million things going on in my mind right now. Like the other day I was like, I really want to be Savannah Gunther. Like, I think that's what I want to do. And then some days I'm like, you know, I would love to be an entertainment lawyer. I absolutely love talking about entertainment and I love looking at contracts. Like, I think I want to do that. And then I realized like, I don't have to be any one particular thing. I think for me, I really like the Board of Ed because I love working on education policy. I love working um, with the people that I work with on the Board of Ed. I absolutely love all of our members. I think it's the, we work really well together. And um, I will say, you know, one day we joked about it when I was working for, for John Larson. I was like, you know, I am a district one girl at heart. My parents are from Bloomfield, like they're high school sweethearts. My entire grandparents lived in Bloomfield for years. And then they moved to Newington. So like I am district one all the way. And I really enjoyed my time, you know, working in the district one office as well. I worked in both DC and the Hartford office and I love being in district one. So, you know, I'll never say no to, to higher office because it just depends on if, you know, I'm the person to meet the moment. I think there are so many other people out there who can meet that moment and who should meet that moment in terms of who we have running. But I think in general, I'll never say, you know, if someone asked me to run, I will likely probably say yes, because I think too often women take seven to eight times to be asked to run before they say yes. And I don't want to be <laughs> that one who says, who's asked a million times and keeps saying, no, I think, you know, if I can say yes, I'll say yes, obviously barring any of my, you know, personal things that I have to do. But I think, you know, it's really a time that I have you know, a couple, half a decade or so at least of, um, you know, being able to have my own independence. I don't have kids. I can do whatever, you know, that I can do. And I think that's something that's so important to me as a young person. Like you have the time as a young person, you don't have to be retired on the other end and have that time. Um, you have it now. You're able to work and do politics, even in the state legislature right now in Connecticut. I mean, it isn't a full-time job, technically. A lot of them still have other jobs, right? right. Uh, so this is, it does not have to be your full-time job. And I think that's what's sometimes great and sometimes bad about politics is right. it, it gives you that flexibility to do other things. But when it comes back to it, you know, a lot of things in this world are political and you need to think about that. So I think that's something I'll have to always consider. I don't think politics will ever stray because politics is always in my life. Mm -hmm. When you worked for John Larson, did he mention how long he's sticking around? Is that something that he, he's mentioned? He honestly didn't. I'm going to say I have to give him a great shout out and the staff a great shout out. He was one of the best bosses that I've had. He would buy us coffee every single day. So, um, you know, that usually will, will, he'll just be hanging out at East Hartford diners, I think till, you know, the end of time. I don't know if <laughs> when he'll retire. I know him and Denise Napier went in in the same year and she retired, um, I believe two years ago. So, you know, it's interesting to see how long it comes, but, you know, it's also something to say about local politics and even state politics is, you know, you become a pillar of the community for so long. It's, you know, something that 
it'll be hard to to think about him not being in office um, just because he's been that way for so long. But I will say his his predecessor, Barbara Kennelly, came in one time when I was there and, you know, she was like, I've been in there for X amount of years, too. So, you know, times always change and there will always be the new um, new people in. But I don't know if, uh, if that'll be anytime soon or not. He seems to have a lot of energy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just curious because I'm a district one girl too. So like I, for as long as I've been alive, it seems that. Yes, Johnson he's been in office since died. 1998. So yes, my, my entire life. life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so how old are you? You're 20. I'm, I'm 22. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So, it's, it's definitely, yeah. And I think that's something that will come up uh, definitely in, if not, you know, the, the next two years, uh, you know, the next four years, I think there is. That's a common phrase that's happening in a lot of races now is they've been in office as long as I've been alive or since I've been born. And I think that's something that will you'll be hearing not just in Connecticut, but across the country continuously. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always just think back to like um, AOC's race where she ran against someone who had been there forever and then she kind of won. But it sounds like from your perspective that, you know, John Larson isn't stagnating. He's still doing a good job. I mean, I have to say just personally working with him, he was just a wonderful person. I mean, he sings Frank Sinatra every day and has just some wonderful phrases. I have to say he's just a very charming individual and genuinely does care about the people that he works with. And I think that's something that's great. But, you know, I think there will always be a time when we need new ideas. And I think, you know, um, that doesn't mean to say that he's not up for the challenge. I just think, you know, as we look to some, he will eventually retire, you know? So I think, um, you know, we have to think about that, you know, what is, what is the future of district one? So I think that's an exciting thing to think about, you know, I think, um, it doesn't mean that he's doing a bad job at all, but I think it means that, you know, he's willing to, to pass the torch at some point onto to someone else. And I think that'll be a great time as well. I think it's a great district and I think he's done a great job representing us. And I think as the district becomes, more youthful, I think as well, you know, as more people move into Hartford, you know, and as more people begin to start their new families, I think that'll, you'll see that changing demographic. We already see that now, I think, um, in a lot of our towns surrounding Hartford, um, we get a, we're getting a lot of, um, in, just in the state of Connecticut, a lot of people coming from Puerto Rico, from being climate refugees. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of changing in demographics and changing in how district one looks and then therefore how we're represented. Yeah, that's so true. Jessica, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate your time today and best of luck in all of your future endeavors. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a great time. <laughs> <laughs>